Hi, and welcome to the Cult Hackers podcast. I'm Stephen, one of your hosts. In today's episode, we have coming up a very special guest, author Daniel Allen Cox. So we had so much to talk to Daniel about, including his life growing up as a Jehovah's Witness, his realisation about his sexuality, his obsession with words and repurposing them after leaving this high-control group, and of course his greatly anticipated book called I Felt the End Before It Came, which is out in May of 2023. Because this interview is a bit longer than our usual podcast, we've split it up into two parts, with the second part coming out just a day after part one. Just before we bring you that discussion with Daniel, if you find the podcast useful or interesting, you can become a patron to help support its production. As well as the satisfaction of helping keeping the show on the road, patrons get a number of benefits, including exclusive content and Zoom chats where you can speak to us about the subjects covered in the show. Cult Hackers and welcome to the podcast. I'm Celine, a media graduate with an interest in cults. And I'm her dad, Stephen Mather. <laughs> I'm an organisational psychologist, also really interested in cults. I was a, a member of a high control group or cult for about 30 years and um, welcome to the show. Um, welcome to a very special guest today. We have Daniel Allen Cox, uh, writer, um, ex-Jehovah's Witness, and somebody I've been trying to get on the show for so long. So welcome to the show, Daniel. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thanks uh, for your patience as well with, with all the time it took to come here. <laughs> I think it must be a couple of years ago since we had a few chats on via Twitter. Um, and I'd seen some of the stuff that you'd written and uh, just seemed such an interesting person. And uh, uh, thus started a long uh, process of... Um, of getting you on and uh yeah so so brilliant to, to see you today thank you so much That's um so how do we start let's um let, let's talk a little bit daniel about you and your background so like me you're an ex-jehovah's witness um mm-hmm. obviously you're no longer that you're a, a pretty prolific writer you've got a book coming out soon so we want to talk about that as well um would it be possible just to tell us a little bit about how you grew up and a bit of your background as much as you want to go into that and we'll ask some questions or you can tell us the whole tale if you want to it's entirely up to you uh, Daniel so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you come from sure thanks for that yeah um, I think I'll do it uh, pretty much uh, anachronistically and then we could jump back in and cool and such um, yeah and so I was uh, born in Montreal Montreal Quebec um, in Canada, and uh, yeah, um, third generation Jehovah's Witness, um, and uh, that uh, generational aspect to it pre- pretty much informed my my um, upbringing uh, in uh, quote unquote the truth, um, a concept I'm I'm sure that your listeners are are very familiar with, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the, the, um, uh, I was, ba- I was baptized at the age of 13 in a, a pool in Ottawa, right? Um, 
uh, which um, I've been untangling a lot, actually, in the process of writing this memoir about about uh, what that day meant, especially what the lead up meant and what the fallout meant. And so there's a lot of um, the the witnesses attach like a lot of meaning to the moment of being dunked in the pool and uh and so do i as a writer because as a writer i I too work in symbolism and and um you know it's something we can actually dig into later about about um why i'm a writer um Mm. i think is intimately connected to being raised a jehovah's witness um which of course has a million entanglements, including um, uh, what have I taken away from my upbringing that I don't necessarily reject, mm. you know, which we are getting into some, some nuanced territory, right? Um, so the, there are t- two stories of, of uh, how I left. We can delve back into into um pre-leaving if you like a bit later on but yeah. um i'll tell you uh, two stories of how we left one's a short story and one's a longer one which is which is unfolded in the book as is always the case the <laughs> the, the short story is that i was out uh, bowling with a few uh, um witness friends uh on the weekend, um, you know, one of our wholesome activities and, you know, is, uh, probably, um, chaperone. There was probably a few, a few, uh, dating situations happening, of course, everyone, um, being witnesses. And I, I guess I was feeling good. I was feeling relaxed and I happened to, to comment on my friend's boyfriend being handsome and, um, the the comment was left sort of unaddressed and i was uh i was 18 years old at the time um and i've been living a queer life for at, at, the, at that point a few years and and had started um having sex with men already at that point um and i guess i had either let my guard down or was ready to be caught or a combination of the two as, as is always the case. I mean, I'm sure this is a very familiar story to you. And, um, and then I got a phone call two days later from our congregation's presiding elder. Um, and we basically had our discussion on the phone, which I'm told by several ex Jehovah's witnesses is, unusual that Mm. I wasn't convened to kind of like an in-person judicial meeting, which, Mm. which I agree is, is a a bit, a bit like unusual now that I think about it, but um, it it only goes to show that while our experiences are very common, every kingdom hall is informed Mm. by the, by the charismatic personality of its, you know, it's like top elder, right? So yeah. he did things on the phone, right? And um, and I was offered a choice. Um, well, well, actually, first I was asked, you know, do you plan to live <laughs> as a homosexual? You know, and, and a very interesting concept here of, of um, you can 
be something, but not live as as something, which of course um, is a line straight from the gay conversion therapy playbook, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, uh, that always leads to to excellent results in people's lives. Yeah, I as think we all know, generally get on okay with that, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I told them I had every intention of. Uh, continuing to sleep with men um and uh at this point i'd i'd uh kind of press the button on things and mm-hmm. and i guess i was looking for like a reason to press that uh, uh button and um offer a choice to either um disassociate myself v- via letter or to uh go through the uh, um process of being disfellowshipped um with uh a view to one day repenting which i think i think both of us realized on the phone in uh this pretty unbelievable conversation where he told me that he loved me and to be careful of aids <laughs> um and um I said, yeah, I'll send you the letter. Um, so, so I mailed the letter. Um, it was pretty much the, uh, probably the best thing I've written, although I can't really recall much of it. Um, in my mind, it's this, um, it's this key piece in my, in my literary history. Um, <laughs> and I guess the uh, process of writing a book is just to try to replicate different versions of that um, letter, essay per essay, right? As a, right. As a, a breakup letter to Jehovah. Um, so I sent the letter um, and I had to basically uh, come out to my family uh, that week before my, uh, my disassociation was announced at that, at that, uh, week's meeting right so um that must have been hard that's yeah it was it's very hard um and that's a a short story um Mm. but the longer story is um is the topic of the book right and and what happened in these intervening 25 years what did i not interrogate and why? Um, um, what did I, I uh, not process? And why? How quickly did I try to to build a life out of like the scraps that I started to assemble, living a life, you know, mm-hmm. in downtown, far from the suburbs, among uh, quote unquote worldly people? Um, and uh, what issues were I not uh, addressing? resolving and so then i think this book is about troubling the idea of the clean break i assumed it was a very clean razor sharp break um but in fact it's the messiest and most unresolved thing i've done and now and now here i am 25 years later still trying to understand it yeah that's that's so interesting and um Obviously, our experiences are going to be very different, but as you've already said, everybody's experience is different. 
but that sense of um, it taking a long time to make sense of that process I absolutely um, echo that it's about 30 years since I've left and well perhaps 25 26 years that's right um, years because it's about your age Celine um, and um, yeah only recently really have a come back to it and started to try and um, really make sense of it so yeah totally totally understand that and um, so um the book it's called do you want to tell us what it's called uh daniel um, yes it's called i felt the end before it came memoirs of a queer ex-jehovah's witness so uh, it might be a good time to explain why it's got that name so um do you want to tell us a little bit about what, what that means to you Sure. So uh, first of all, uh, that was just a line from the book and my editor pulled it out and said, uh-huh. how about this as a title? And, you know, he does these uh, magic uh, tricks every now and then, which, um, <laughs> and he also did that with the, uh, the uh, cover. It's an image of me uh, taken by a friend um, that I describe in the book. And so he said, here's the book title and here's the uh, book cover um, with some, sleight of hand. Um, I think it, it uh, resonated for him because it talks about feelings, right? Um, so we can try like and logic all this out until the end of time. And, and we may actually do that. Um, but, but what do you do when something feels wrong and you don't, and you don't know why, you know, do you first try and figure it out and then, and then take steps to, extricate yourself or to make your life better or do you do you take action based on the feeling and then try and figure it out um and as i explained to you i i I think you know which one i did in my life um right i i guess so how old how old we you said you were about 18 um when this yeah this happened so i'm guessing it's the it's the took action first and then try to yeah. make sense of it afterwards um exactly. which i guess is a bit different to me because i i'd had doubts for so long and kept on trying to um make it make sense and i i kind of that i i have beat myself up about that for a long time um because <laughs> yeah. you sort of think about all the years you've wasted but um mm-hmm. you know um obviously lots of good things came from it um including yeah Celine, <laughs> the fact that um, I met her mum. So, um, but yeah, mm-hmm. um, I, I guess that that's that's really interesting. Um, did you have like a, a moment where you realised that um, you weren't going to carry on being a Jehovah's Witness? Was there a moment of clarity? I mean, I guess you've maybe that was the moment of clarity when you had that conversation, but. Um, at some point you realized you were doing something that Jehovah's Witnesses wouldn't approve of. Um, so how did you reconcile that? Was there a point where you thought, um, I'm going to carry on doing this and stay a Jehovah's Witness or lead a double life, as they call it? They have a whole language around that. Um, mm-hmm. um, so how did you kind of um, reconcile all of that? And uh, obviously you were very young, so I guess that was part yeah. of it. But Yeah, that's true. Um I think it was on it was on uh, two tracks and the two that you just mentioned and so and so one was um, was just sort of uh, developing you know developing um, 
critical thinking, which as witnesses, we are taught not to do. Um, and I'd love to actually talk about, about terminology around thinking with you a bit later in the podcast. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's, um, central to how I got my language back. <laughs> right. Um, so as I was becoming aware of, of, um, world events and, and history and culture, I began to see, of course, discrepancies and distortions and omissions and all these things. Right. Um, and, and part of me began to be critical. Um, but of course I was able to, uh, to at the same time defend the watchtower, right. And say, well, you know, um, uh, using my training to, to instantly defend whenever, um, they're spoken badly about or critiqued. Right. Um, so that cognitive distance was, was pretty ingrained in me and continued for a while, well over a decade after I'd left, but the part of me that knew things were wrong. So if you're asking about, about moment, it goes back to the word feel. Um, um, my first orgasm with a man, right. Was this, you know, explosion of the universe and, and everything in it that, that told me all I needed to know. Um, so for me, it actually came back to sex, to this unthinkable idea of, of, uh, not only being a homosexual, but living as one. Can you imagine living as one, you know? And, um, and that's the part of me that was that was living a double life and hiding it expertly, right? And so I used mm. to, you know, even things like um, like learning how to properly clean my uh, black nail polish, right, mm. so that there's not even a shred of black around the cuticle, right? So. We learn how to do that, you know, that stuff very well, right? Uh, and to even uh, mask the smell of the nail polish remover, right? Why would your room smell like nail polish remover? There's no reason it should, right? Um, and masking the smell of cigarettes and, you know, and weed and, and all this stuff. So, um, so, and... At the same time, telling yourself, oh, no, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I'm, I'm, I'll live in paradise, you know. Hmm. And, then, and then come Friday, and it's a, and it's a whole different story, right? <laughs> that must be yeah. exhausting. Yeah, yeah. So, so living a double life um, um, taught me to silo and compartmentalize hmm different parts of my life, which actually continues until today and causes, and causes, uh, um, different problems for me. The fact that I can compartmentalize so easily, um, um, yeah, causes a bit of havoc at the moment. I, yeah. I, I don't wish I'd, I learned that skill so well. So that, that period of time, do you think 
you know dad's mentioning it being tiring and you know exhausting kind mm. of having to live those two versions of of yourself um mm -hmm. you mentioned at that point when you make a comment that you know triggers onto people getting an idea of what's going on did you think it is that kind of just wanting to be done with that pretense because mm -hmm. that is just having to hide such it's not just a small part of yourself is it is the other thing it's a huge part of the mm -hmm. identity do, do you think that was a big part of that it could be and and uh and uh, part of my work now thanks for the question is um trying to hypothesize what was going on in my mind right mm -hmm. because it's all going um 100 kilometers an hour or more um uh you asked me if i was uh, tired Stephen. i don't know but do 18 year olds get as tired as 47 year olds probably not <laughs> you know so 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 maybe i had the reserves um maybe i've been like a building reserves or um secretly or subconsciously building a, an exit plan mm -hmm. um and as i mentioned before hoping hoping to get caught you know mm -hmm. uh but I, I would never have actually said that at the time. I would never have uh, believed at the time that's what I was doing. But but now, if I if I look back at all of the context clues, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Like I wasn't hiding things very well. You know, I mean, I would like smoke out my bedroom window, expecting no one to smell it. You know, like there's a crack in the window. You know, mm -hmm. how. You know, if I was really trying to hide it, why didn't I go for a walk, buy air freshener, buy some gum? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't buy gum, you know. <laughs> so so uh, that's the answer, right? Is that, hmm, yeah, I was fed up. Oh, yeah, maybe I wasn't tired. Maybe I was fed up, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. And uh, I didn't have as much patience as I have now. So I, I'm afraid to think what if I had left later in life or, mm. or what if I had actually joined the group later in life? Um, now I don't have that kind of, um, kind of maybe like rage, I guess, you know, uh, that I've been mm. trying to access so desperately in my writing, you know, <laughs> but, but I had a lot of it at the time. Um, and maybe it actually helped me leave, but like now, would I have had that courage? Who knows? Yeah. And, and you have the, the, the added problem as we we've talked about before, you know, the longer you stay in something, the harder it is to cut your losses. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. there's all sorts of fallacies around that. So yeah, it'll start to tip in the direction, I guess, um, for, for lots of us. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess, um, well, I've got a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. Uh, firstly, identity. Um, Celine's mentioned it there, but it is such a, um, our sexuality is such an important part of our identity. Um, and you were suppressing that part of you. Um, and I should say for our listeners who are not ex-Jehovah's Witnesses or don't know about it, um, maybe I'll ask you actually to, to explain it. Um, what is the... the the approach of Jehovah's Witnesses. How do Jehovah's Witnesses um, feel about uh, being gay? Um, what, what's their stance on this? Yeah, so you can't. Um, they'll happily say, 
Oh, you can, as long as you deny it, suppress it, try and change it, pray against it, and take absolutely no action. So as I said, you can't, right? And you can't be um, trans, you can't be gender not conforming. There are very strict um, beliefs on the gender binary, of course. Um, And yeah, so this falls into um, a large category of sins, right? Which includes, you know, fornication, sex before marriage, um, certain types of sex, even between like men and women um, that are that are frowned upon and and uh, and whispered about and talked about, right? So, yep. so um, yeah, it's it's um, it's a game changer for sure, and and I guess a part of me knew that that was like a secret weapon or a secret power I had, right? To be um, to be a young gay boy in in the kingdom hall. And now, um, you know, I, I know a few other um, local queer extra Jehovah's witnesses, you know, uh, and by extra Jehovah's witnesses, you know, and, and um, our stories are actually quite different, right? Yeah. 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 They're quite different. And I mean, I went once to, um, to an event and, um, and I saw like a bunch of them. Um, I could tell you about this a bit later. And, uh, and I hadn't realized how many had actually left the truth mm-hmm. you know, until I saw them in this room. I'm like, wow, all of you left too. Mm-hmm. And then they said, Hey, we heard that, that, uh, you left to, I quote, go be gay in New York, (laughs) which was like, yeah, that's how it was spun to the, that was the line, right? So, yeah, it's like, it's a great place to be gay. (laughs) It's a great, just imagining that in the middle of a kingdom hall, and that's the line that they come out with. Mm, I know, but, but I don't think that they even like, like, um, Stephen, correct me if I'm wrong, but like I don't think that the witnesses even use the word gay, right? It's just like homosexual, right? Or yeah, or a perversion I, or something. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, um, obviously, we're I'm a bit older than you, I think, um, but mm-hmm. um, uh, the certainly when I was in and growing up um, around the sort of 80s and 90s, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I guess it was partly a cultural thing as well, but yeah, there was some resistance against the word gay. I remember a, a, a again, sister in inverted commas, proudly mm-hmm. um, telling us at a group um, study once that um, somebody had told her on the ministry, as she'd knocked on the door, you know, he'd told her that he was gay. And she said to him, no, you're not gay. Gay is a lovely word. Um, and um, what you mean is you're a homosexual. Um <laughs> So, yeah, there was a lot of... I was going to actually mention that um, whilst technically um, it falls in to this this phrase they they sort of ripped from the Greek called pornea. Um, Pornea. Yeah, do you remember that? (laughs) Uh, um, But that encapsulates anything that is sexual, really. So, as you said, um, sex before marriage, adultery, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. fornication of all sorts... 
But I think mm-hmm. the reality was, and you you can talk to this much better than I can, I'm sure, but the reality was that the attitudes of the individual witnesses and the, the organisation itself towards um, being gay, homosexual, um, lesbians and so on, I think that was a different level. I think, you know, if mm-hmm. somebody slept with their boyfriend before they were married, that was okay. They might get disfellowshipped, but they it wasn't seen as such a, a gross sin mm-hmm. as um, being gay or homosexual. And um, and that was I was brought up like that. I don't know whether that's that was your experience, um, Daniel, but that's that's how I saw it at the time. Uh, yes, it was uh, totally right. So this idea of like uh, biblically unclean, right? This yeah. this. Um, this really uh, image portrayed as being like really Mm -hmm. disgusting animal perversion, which is, you know, you mentioned, oh, you're not gay because, because gay is like a lovely thing. Mm -hmm. I love the implication that, that, that means homosexuals aren't lovely, you know, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't want to be lovely anyway, so you know it's. <laughs> but yeah, Me neither, you know, but I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and um, pornea, mm. yeah. There's a very interesting word in that, and that's porn too, right? Which is, mm. um, yeah, which is uh, part of my story too. But yeah, yeah. But I, I think it, it reflects, and um, I guess you know, you mentioned that the comment that the elder made about not getting AIDS um I guess it was around the time where AIDS was um at the front of of I suppose a lot of people's minds society had become itself quite obsessed by AIDS and um lots of misunderstandings about it and lots of prejudices Mm -hmm. against people with AIDS um but as an organization Jehovah's Witnesses were absolutely appalling in my view about the way that AIDS was viewed, you know, it was seen Absolutely. as a yeah. um, an evidence, you know, that this was a terrible thing as a punishment, right? You know, I mean, I mean, I've actually gone back and looked at the old Watchtower and even Awake magazine. I think Awake was uh, was um, slightly worse on AIDS because it covered it more as right. as the um, science you know, quote unquote, companion to the watchtower. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, yeah. wow, amazing uh, scientific journal that you're putting out mm. here. Um, uh, next week, evolution never happened, right? Yeah, so, exactly. so um, yeah, and just as this, um, as this punishment for, you know, for homosexuals. And, and I've gone back to to articles and issues that I don't necessarily recall from earlier mm. in my childhood, but that actually would have been like in my sphere, um, in my atmosphere. And, um, and, and one of them called uh, homosexuality an epidemic. And so then of course it's easier for the Watchtower writers to to um, play AIDS epidemic into the homosexual epidemic, right? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. So just just this this completely backwards, moralistic view of things. 
And of course, at the time, there was um, um, some, you know, this was the early uh, 90s. And so when I'd been, you know, um, sneaking out on the weekends to go downtown and, and you know, uh, go clubbing and go and go meet guys, I would um, see, you know, act up marches and I'd see, I'd see AIDS ribbons. I'd see like moments of silence and, and this didn't make sense at all to me. Right. Just talking about these particular like issues. Um, it just makes me think about, I mean, the first phrase that just came to mind was like pride and bigotry. And it's like, there's a lot of pride in this bigotry. And that's one of the things I think, yeah, it's really upsetting and just like, <sighs> just yeah a bit like demoralizing because it's just yeah so happy to be horrid you know and happy to be a heart I love that yeah <laughs> um, it's just you know it kind of gets it's things like this that really get me and mm-hmm. it and also because um their charity status so having a pride in bigotry happy to be horrid but they're a charity you know mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. and I don't understand you know when we have protected characteristics for instance in workplaces you can't like if you would do if this was happening in a workplace you would be torn to pieces um so so Mm -hmm. why can they have a charity status when they're very openly saying such awful things um i don't really know the answers um and to to Mm -hmm. this but that's just some, some of the things that kind of starts popping into my head when we're having this particular conversation Yes, it's all very interesting. Like, like even recently, um, you know, following um, um, other ex-Jehovah's Witness activists online, and and them reporting from from uh, different countries. You know, the the local witness branches putting out different spins mm-hmm. and different um, messaging based on what their legal structure requires them to say and do. Mm. You know, and and I remember the instruction growing up that that lying is wrong, except if you're doing it to protect Jehovah's yeah. organization. Mm-hmm. So so it's fine if we tell if we tell quote unquote Caesar, you know, one thing if it's to to to, to comply with Caesar's laws if it means that he will let us continue operating. Yeah, it's it's a, a totally a two-faced stance. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so I, I want to make sure we, we get time to, to talk about um, your, what I would say from reading some of your work. So I'm going to put so obviously some links to some of your writing that is... Um, online you've written various articles and um you've written stories um, novels or short stories i think um mm. so you're you're pretty prolific so people can see some of that already obviously you've got your new memoirs coming out which you've already talked about when when's that coming out um Daniel? may 9th may 9th so um, excited mm. to uh to, to get my hands on that um so we've obviously you 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 talk about your memoirs there so there'll be loads more 
um, to learn about you and about your experiences. Um, I just wanted to make sure that we talk about what I see as kind of your obsession, which is language and words and how you mm-hmm. have made sense of your life since leaving um, mm. through your exploration of words and that you repurposed them. Um, I don't even know where to start with this. It's so interesting to, because you've talked about this in so much of what you've written. Do you want to tell us how you've used words to help make sense of your life afterwards? Sure. So I'm sure as you've uh, delved into with, with like a number of your guests and in your own research, any high control group, any cults, um, um, any any a corporate organization really you know you know uses a, a set of words to uh, to control membership exact obedience to give a feeling of belonging and um, and uh, to keep them sort of uh, tied to the group in order to explain it all to them right um, so so I think I realized this, early on in my career as a writer and I wanted to um, to kind of gain control of the technology which is words and language that was actually used against me right to 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 repurpose it um, in a sense to create fictions while I was actually writing novels um, I couldn't escape the feeling that I was doing it to um, to write fables that were as fantastic as what the um, um, watchtower pitched to us as nonfiction as truth you know yes even though in my novels I wasn't actually writing about um, Jehovah's Witnesses that much mm. I still had the feeling that that uh, this was like an act of reclamation Um um, I began writing actually songs, right? I was a musician in my teens and oh, yeah. early twenties, and so I was in a band with other witness, um, other witness friends, and mm. and uh, yeah, we were. Our songwriting was actually actually uh, quite subversive. Now that I I uh, uh, look through because I have a binder with a bunch of our of our, our lyric copies, and they're. Um, they're not very hmm, kingdom oriented, I'll say, you know, <laughs> and Christian so, pop. <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't Christian pop, even though, you know, we have a lot of um, former witnesses who, who were musicians, of course, and that, and that influenced all of their hmm. music and lyrics and careers. But I think, yeah, as a group, we were allowed to kind of, um, speak our minds in that respect and and um it's where a lot of my doubt was actually expressed you know it was like through lyrics through very um politically motivated lyrics through very humanistic lyrics um and so music was was uh, was my first love and today whenever i try to to nail a paragraph a sentence or, or like a piece of writing i don't think what great book have i read can i emulate i think uh what great album 
can I try to replicate on the page here, which is like a musical approach to writing. Um, um, also because of, of uh, my stutter, right? So I, I, um, um, I've always found that like a more musically driven sentence is slightly easier for me to, to, to read aloud. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, th- and so this also influences mm-hmm. how I write. It doesn't explain why I've, I've never tried poetry, but <laughs> anyhow, we're all contradictions that way. Um, so with this project, with my memoir project, um, that um, took me like a long time to to come to. Like and later, we can talk about the events that actually built up to the writing of the memoir. But to address the text itself, um, um, this is my first big nonfiction project. So I could no longer um, obscure things through the scrim of fictional you know, events and characters. And I had the chance to address language itself. And so words began to to appear uh, different to me, you know, apocalypse, right? Armageddon. Um, I spent the, the first half of my life experiencing those words in one very specific context. And then like the second half of my life being told, actually, this is about financial crisis. This is about a 10-day traffic jam. This is about climate crisis, right? Um, And I began to fear, what if being uh, told 18 years that it means this like one specific thing that I now no longer believe in, what if that makes me passive when there's like a real apocalypse in front of me? What if that, um, if I dismiss it because I've become immune to the word. So um, part of um, using these words in text is to make sure that I'm not like immune to them anymore, especially how my peers and how my current world is using them. Um, Another one was the word understanding. So I remember the instruction, the instruction, don't rely on on your own understanding, right? Understanding only comes from Jehovah. Now when I'm, I speak to current witnesses, usually in the form of, of critiques or angry letters or angry emails or uh, posts online, uh, they, they invariably say, oh, but you're not one of us anymore, so you can't possibly understand what's, you know, what's up with us, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> which is like, hmm, that's curious because, because I feel it's the opposite. Right mm. now that I'm 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 actually not part of of your group anymore. I can finally understand it. I finally have outside perspective. Yeah. But there's no such thing as outside perspective, and and maybe that's one of the reasons it's a cult. Is isn't just that they they don't try to to persuade members against it, but they don't believe that it exists. Right? <laughs> there's no outside perspective that. Mm. can be can be remotely valid um so if the word understanding in the past was something that i always received now it's something i i can generate 
on my own. Um, so that's yeah. really good. I really love that. Um, so mm-hmm. let's just let's just hang on that for a moment. So yeah, understanding you're absolutely right. As a Jehovah's Witness, you receive that, don't you? You receive the understanding. Mm-hmm. What's the mm-hmm. current understanding about this then? Let's have a look at the latest Watchtower about our current yeah. understanding. Um, that's so insightful. And yeah, now you're able to generate the idea of, or you generate understanding. You do that through critical thinking, through um, debating with yourself, through thinking about it. It's a, it's an act of creation um, as opposed to a passive act of um uh, of just it being given to you. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's a great example. Any more? <laughs> one more. So that's the end of part one. Part two will be released the very next day after this episode, where we get more into the words and ideas they generate. Daniel also talks about his queer identity and his coming to terms with the aftermath of leaving his high control group years later, as well as news about his upcoming memoir. <laughs>